right, good evening, church family. Let's pray God's blessing over the offering. Dearly Father, we come to you this evening just saying thank you for allowing us to be here this evening. Lord, we just thank you for your word. And as it continues to go forth, Lord, that it will fall on good soil, Lord, that we didn't just come here to hear, Lord, but also to do your word, Lord, and uh, that the gospel will be spread out, Lord, and that you will see um, the unbelievers, Lord, come to know our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, Lord, that we may fellowship with them eternally. So we thank you for all things, Lord. We thank you for everything that we have. Um, and as you continue to bless us, Lord, let's continue to sow into your kingdom, Lord. We love you. We thank you. And in Jesus' name, we pray these things. Amen. Amen. All right. Forever Mentor Boys Group will be meeting on Thursday, November 9th at 7 o'clock p.m. at the 16th Street location. Evangelism training will be held this Saturday, November 11th from 9 a.m. to 2 o'clock p.m. at the Germantown location. Please be in prayer about that as that is coming up again this weekend. Join us on Sunday, November 12th, as we continue to study the book of Mark together. To watch the live stream or recording of the message, go to ccwordoflife.org, then click the word. The live stream will start after the worship. Prayer service will be held at 5 o'clock p.m. this evening, or excuse me, Sunday evening. The prayer focus will be the Spirit-filled church. The men's prayer group will meet on Monday, November 13th at 7.30 p.m. at the 16th Street location. Please see Herman Arce for more information. Communion and family night will be held on Friday, November 17th at 7.30 p.m. We'll be here at this building as well. The CCWL Book Club will be meeting on Saturday, November 18th at 5 o'clock p.m. The first book is Pray Big by Alistair Begg. Please see Corey Hackett Green for more information. Um, and for that book club meeting, we'll be following the book um, and reading it until completion. So everyone that's coming, please have that read to completion. Uh, the Women's Fellowship will be meeting on Friday, November 24th at 7.30 p.m. at the Germantown location. All ladies are invited to attend. Please see Sarah Darden for more information. Save the date for the men's brunch, which will be on Saturday, December 2nd, and that will be at 10 o'clock a.m. All prayer requests may be sent to ccwordoflife.org, then click prayer or submit your prayer requests in the prayer box in the sanctuary, which is in the back. For all announcements, go to ccwordoflife.org and click updates or use the QR code, which would be on the screen behind me. You may support the church financially in four different ways. In person, as the ushers pass the offering box around. And we also have a box which will be on my right-hand side, which would be on your left, which is on the side of the sanctuary. Text the word GIVE to 15, excuse me, text the word GIVE to 215-515-6552. Send checks to PO Box 30750, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, 19104. Or by secure online giving, please visit ccwordoflife.org and click the word giving. Now please silence your devices and turn with us, turn with us in your Bibles as we study 2 Kings chapter 25, verses 1 through 21 with Pastor Mark. Alrighty, good evening, church family and friends. Um, we, oh, we have some good news too. I don't think y'all know. Sonny had a baby. 
So give the Lord a big hand. See the Lord girl. Juliet Solia Grant, seven pounds, four ounces, and I guess 20.5 um, inches long. So, so that's a good thing. So let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for who you are. Thank you for your love, Lord, how you load us daily with benefits, Lord. And thank you for the saints at this church, Lord. People have been serving here for years. And you look around and say, look, we've been doing this together for a long time. And we just see the fruit of the love, the, the joy, the, the relationships, the friendships. Lord, the family, Lord, we, we care about each other's lives and kids and grandkids. And, and so, Father, thank you, Lord, for letting us serve together, labor together, Lord. I'm so blessed, Lord. And so, Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would bless this night, bless your word, Lord. Pray, Lord, that you would give us wisdom as we study your word, Lord, that we know that your word is a lamp unto our feet, is a light unto our path. So, Lord, make it make sense to us. Lord, make it simple that we can not only hear it, but apply it to our hearts and to the way we live here. And so, Lord, I pray, Lord, you would be with us. And as David prayed, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, you are my strength and my redeemer. I do pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. So we end... Second Kings, the last chapter, but I'm going to do two weeks with this chapter because it's something I wanted to kind of go into detail with in this week. So I'll do the first 21 verses at night, but we're going to move around in the Bible some so y'all can kind of get a, uh, I'm thinking a real good picture, snapshot of like how in the world did the nation go into captivity? Like, you, you, you know, you read history, you know, you get your history books and it says, okay, it was a deportation in 605 B.C., then it was another deportation in 597 BC. Then it was ultimately 586 BC. And then on um, August the 14th, you know, they burned down the temple and Solomon's temples burned down, leveled to the ground. How did all this happen? And how in the world, if some people say that if God is a loving God, how does things happen? Well, some things happen because of us. And this, and as we go through this, is going to be because of the people's disobedience is one of the saddest chapters in the entire Bible in regards to a nation who had the oracles of God right before them. They had the word of God. They had the law of Moses. They had the prophets. They had, you know, and they still did not understand, you know, what God required of them because they didn't want to understand. They didn't want to understand. And so we will move around some. Jeremiah chapter 52, you should sort of read with chapter 25 of 2 Kings. Because I want to read some of Jeremiah chapter 52. Matter of fact, turn to Jeremiah 52. And I want you all to read this together with us. So when we get into this tonight, you're going to move around some, but it's for a reason, all right? So Jeremiah 52 Verse 1, and at this point in time in history, Zedekiah has revolted against and disregarded um, Nebuchadnezzar, and he's going to pay a price. So Jeremiah chapter 52, verse 1 says, Zedekiah was 21 years old when he became king, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Hamuel. Hamutel, rather, the daughter of Jeremiah of Libna, he also did evil in the sight of the Lord, according to all that Jehoiakim had done. 
For because of the anger of the Lord has uh, um, this happened in Jerusalem and Judah till he finally cast them out from his presence. Then Zedekiah rebelled against the king of Babylon. You see that in your Bible, right? Turn to Jeremiah chapter 25. I want to show you something. But to rebel against Nebuchadnezzar wasn't just rebelling against the king. I'm going to show you something that I want you all to see. Jeremiah chapter 25, verse 8. Look at this. It says, Therefore thus says the Lord of hosts, because you have not heard my words, behold, I will send and take all the families of the north, says the Lord, and Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, notice what he's called, my servant, and will bring them against this land, against its inhabitants, and against these nations all around, and will utterly destroy them and make them an astonishment, a hissing, and perpetual desolation. Jeremiah chapter 27, verse 6 and 7. I want you to turn to that. I'll give you a few minutes. If you have it, say amen. Nobody has it? Jeremiah 27, verse 6 and 7. If you have it, say amen. All right, amen. Okay, Jeremiah chapter 27, verse 6. And now I have given all these lands into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. Notice what he's called. My servant and the beast of the field I've also given to him to serve. So all nations shall serve him and his son and his son's sons until the time of his land comes. And then many nations and great kings shall make him serve them. You see that? That's in the Bible. Turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 36. So now we know, we established that Nebuchadnezzar is called God's servant. He says, my servant. That's what he's called. My servant is God's instrument to be the chastened rod to judge the nation of Judah. So 2 Chronicles chapter 36, verse 13, it says, And he also, meaning Zedekiah, rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar, who had made him swear an oath by God, but this is Zedekiah, <clears throat> but he stiffened his neck and hardened his heart against turning to the Lord God of Israel. So it was interesting, Zedekiah rebelled while plotting and seeking help from, we know he, he sought help from Egypt. And we know that from Ezekiel chapter 17, verse 15, that he sought help from Egypt. So when you read this, and this is what I want you all to see tonight. For him to rebel against Nebuchadnezzar, it was like essentially rebelling against God in a sense. Because Nebuchadnezzar is called my servant. And God used him to be a chastening rod to a number of nations. Judah just happened to be one of them at this particular time in history. They should have known better. They already saw what happened to Israel when they were taken away by the Syrians. And you would say, well, surely God, they had almost 140 years almost before God would judge them. The Syrians taking, you know, the, um, the nation of Israel, the northern tribes, in 722 B.C., it wasn't until like 605 and, you know, B.C., later, years later, that God would judge Judah. Judah knew what happened to the nation of Israel when they didn't obey God. They knew what happened. 
And so it's a worse punishment when you know what it is to be wrong and you know what sin is and you do it anyway. It's like a worse punishment. It's a worse in a sense of, you know, the consequences and the aftermath. Because you knew it. They knew that serving other gods was wrong. They knew that they were in sin and they could have lived for the Lord. Instead of living for the Lord, they didn't live for the Lord. And turn back to 2 Kings. We look at chapter 24. And, you know, the beginning of chapter 24. And then we'll go on to chapter 25. And this should make more sense for you when we go through this. 2 Kings chapter 24 says, verse 3. Surely at the commandment of the Lord, this came upon Judah to remove them from his sight. Notice, because of the sins of Manasseh, according to all that he had done, and also because of the innocent blood that he had shed. Notice, it says, for he had filled Jerusalem with innocent blood, which the Lord would not pardon. Because they took their kids through Molech. And we know that Josiah came after Manasseh because you had Ammon, then Josiah. Josiah had a spiritual reform, hauled to the prophet, said, no, no, no. You, because your heart was broken, you won't see this calamity that's going to come across and come upon this nation. And so when you look at chapter 25, now that makes us a little more sober. Look at verse 1 in chapter 25. It says, now it came to pass in the ninth year of his reign... In the 10th month, on the 10th day of the month, this is January 588 B.C., that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and all of his army came against Jerusalem and encamped against it, and they built a siege wall against, against, against it all around. So the city was besieged, notice, until the 11th year of King Zedekiah. This was a two-year siege. And we find out that inside of the city, there was a mess going on. One-third of the people were killed by the sword. One-third was carried away by cap into captivity. And one-third died by starvation, famine. And this is by the ninth day of the fourth month, the famine had become so severe in the city that there was no food for the people in the land. There's no food for the people in the land. And, and look, I want y'all to pay attention to, to this because you say, well, how could this happen to these people? Jeremiah 19 says, you don't have to turn to this, I want to read it for you. Jeremiah 19, chapter 19, verse 9 says, And I will cause them to eat the flesh of their sons and the flesh of their daughters. And everyone shall eat the flesh of his friend in the siege, and then the, and then the desperation with which their enemies and those who seek their lives shall drive them to despair. This is a prophecy by Jeremiah Telling Zedekiah, look, let me tell you something. You guys will be eating each other. You know, people having you so hungry, looking to the kids say, we have some Johnny Burgers tonight, you know. You know, or, or, or Katie Ribs, whatever you called it. Ezekiel, who was already taken in captivity at this particular time, 
Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is already taken to Babylon and they in the palace as Isaiah prophesied in the book of Isaiah in 36. And we see all of this happening, you know, in, in the sense where you think like, oh man, this is just happening by chance. No, when we study this tonight, you'll know that this is not by chance. Ezekiel saw this happen when he was in captivity. He's away from this. He don't know what's going on. Ezekiel chapter 5 verse 10, he says, their fathers shall eat their sons in, in, their, in your midst, and sons shall eat their fathers, and I will execute judgment among you. And all of you who remain, I will scatter to all the winds. You know what they had in common? These prophets. And y'all need to know this too. You know what all the people in the, in the Bible that God used, you know what they all had in common? It was one thing they had in common. And it was a sequence through all of the lives of the men that God used in the Bible and the women that he used in the Bible. They had one thing in common. They all knew the word of God. They all knew the word of God. The prophets was only prophesying what was already written by God in the first place by another prophet named Moses. They already knew that they should have never did this. Look in Deuteronomy chapter 28. Turn to it. I want y'all to see this for yourself. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 28. This is Moses years and years and years ago he wrote this. In Deuteronomy 28, there's the blessings and the curses mentioned. You know, and the curses was attached to Israel's disobedience. The blessings was attached to Israel's obedience. So they were all predicated and stipulated on their conduct. And it says in Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 52, they shall beseech you at all your gates until your high and fortified walls in which you trust come down throughout all your land and they shall beseech you at all your gates throughout all the land which the Lord your God has given you. You shall eat the fruit of your own body, the flesh of your sons and daughters whom the Lord your God has given you in the siege. What siege? They didn't have no siege when Moses wrote this. He's prophesying what they would be like when they disobeyed God is in the Bible. And the siege and the desperate straits in which your enemy shall distress you, the sensitive and very refined man among you will be hostile toward his brother toward his wife of his bosom and toward the rest of his children whom he leaves behind. He's running for his life to leave his kids so that he will not give any of them, notice, the flesh of his children whom he will eat. He ain't going to share none of the kids he eaten. And that's bad, isn't it? Because he is not left in the siege and desperate straits in which your enemy shall distress you at all your gates. Is that interesting? That's written years and years before this day happened. Is that interesting? Very interesting. If that's not good enough, turn to the book of Leviticus. I told you y'all was going to have a Bible study tonight. Like no other Bible study. Because when y'all leave out of here, y'all going to know one thing for sure. The wages of sin. The wages of sin, the cost of sin, the cost, the book of Leviticus, God's old places right before Israel, the retribution for disobedience. Look at Leviticus 26, verse 14. But if you do not obey me and do not observe all these commandments, 
And if you despise my statutes, or if your soul abhors my judgment, so that you do not perform all my commandments, but break my covenant, I will also do this to you. I will even appoint terror over you, wasting disease and fever, which shall not consume the eyes, which shall consume the eyes, rather, and cause sorrow of heart. And you shall sow your seed in vain, for your enemies shall eat it. Verse 17, I will set my face against you. I like that. I don't like it, but I like it. I will set my face against you, and you shall be defeated by your enemies. Those who hate you shall reign over you, and you shall flee when no one pursues you. And after all this, if you do not obey me, then I will punish you seven times more for your sins. I will break the pride of your power. I will make your heavens like iron and your earth like bronze. That's a drought. And your strength shall be spent in vain, for your land shall not yield its produce, nor shall the trees of the land yield its fruit. Then if you walk contrary to me and are not willing to obey me, I will bring on you seven times more plagues according to your sins. I will also send wild beasts, <laughs> I don't like how that sounds, among you, which shall rob you of your children, destroy your livestock, and make you few in number. That's something. Your, and your highway shall be desolate. And if by these things you are not conformed to me, but walk contrary to me, in other words, you don't repent, then I will also walk contrary to you, and I will punish you yet seven times for your sins. And I will bring a sword against you that will execute the vengeance of the covenant. When you are gathered together within your cities, I will send pestilence among you, and you shall be delivered into the hand of the enemy. When I have cut off your supply of bread, ten women shall bake your, your bread in one oven, and they shall bring back your bread by weight, and you shall eat and not be satisfied. After all of this, if you do not obey me, but walk contrary to me, then I will also walk contrary to you in fury. And I, even I, will chastise you seven times for your sins. Verse 29, you shall eat the flesh of your sons. Right there, you see that? And you shall eat the flesh of your daughters. I will destroy your high places, cut down your incense altars, and cast the car your carcasses on the lifeless forms of your idols, and my soul shall abhor you. I will lay your cities waste and bring, notice, your sanctuaries to desolation, and I will not smell the fragrance of your sweet aromas. I will bring the land to desolation, and your enemies who dwell in it shall be astonished at you. The nation of Judah knew all of this. Look, they had the law of Moses. They knew all of this. They knew all of this, but just because you know the word of God, it doesn't always reflect on how we live for God. They knew all of this. You would say, man, look all the stuff. They, they had the whole Bible. Or you can say, I go to Calvary Chapel. They teach verse by verse. Oh, man, you can have all that and don't do none of it. And you'll end up in bondage. You'll end up in bondage. God in his grace and mercy sent them prophet after prophet, but they refused to listen to the voice of the Lord through his servants. You had Isaiah, you had Jeremiah, you had, you know, you had um, Zephaniah, you had Micah, you had all these prophets, you, you know, and God sent Habakkuk. You know, he had these prophets and they didn't want to hear nothing they had to say. They didn't listen to nothing they had to say. And by the time you read, you know, 
Chronicles chapter 36, and you know, to turn this, but Chronicles says, and the Lord God of their fathers sent warnings to them by his messengers rising up early and sending them because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place, but they mocked the messengers of God. Isaiah, Micah, Jeremiah, Zephaniah, mocked them, despised his words and scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people till there was no remedy. And they knew all this. It's a scary thing to know the word of God and just disregard it. It's a scary thing. The reason why so many people's lives in the church is defeated and they're not walking in victory and they're still struggling with these different strongholds, you know, these, these things, these vice that they can't get rid of. Somewhere in the midst of all of that, there's a disobedience. Somewhere in the midst of all that, there's a heart and heart towards obeying God and his word. Because it will never happen. When you walk in obedience, God will bless you. I'm not talking about things. I'm talking about freedom. Because you walk in truth, and the truth shall set you free indeed. So many people say, oh, man, I'm still struggling in this in 50 years. You may have some struggles. I'm not saying that. That's part of the life we live. You got this flesh, and you got the spirit man. They all live in the same physical frame. I'm not talking about that. But there are those who do have victory. There are those who are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. There are those who walk and say, look, I'm not what I used to be. I'm sure not what I want to be, but I'm not yet what I'm going to be. I'm still walking in the right direction. Walking. Holiness is a walk towards something, and that's towards God. Not the long dress you wear. I know that ain't true for some of the girls we know. It's not the air. You know, none of that. It's a direction towards God. And Judah, the nation of Judah, didn't want it. They didn't want it. And so in 2 Kings 25, verse 4, notice what happens. God allowed it. Look what happened. <clears throat> then the city wall was broken through. God allowed it. Then all the men of war fled at night by the way of the gate between two walls, which was by the king's garden, even though the Chaldeans were still encamped all around against the city. And you would think it say Chaldeans, but it's Chaldeans. That's how you pronounce it. And the king went by way of the plain, you know, toward the Jordan River. He's trying to flee. This is the king of Zedekiah trying to run for his life. He's trying to get out. He could care less about the people. But Zedekiah is going to be caught. You can't flee from God's judgment. But the army of the Chaldeans pursued the king, notice, and they overtook him in the plains of Jericho. All his army was scattered from him. No more bodyguards, buddy. God removed the bodyguards and everything else, your navy seals or whatever else you depended on, gone. Jeremiah prophesied this to Zedekiah prior to this happening. <clears throat> He prophesied this to Zedekiah before it happened. He, 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 he prophesied this to Zedekiah. He told him, could you imagine somebody coming to your face and telling you, look, you try to run, they're going to catch you. <laughs> 
Jeremiah, y'all don't believe me? Y'all don't, y'all don't believe me? Turn to Jeremiah 32. I want y'all to see this tonight. Y'all have to see this. This is so exciting to me. He's, he's running and he's running. He's run, imagine running and you think you're going to get away. And look what happens. Jeremiah chapter 34 says this down to verse 4, I'll read. Jeremiah 34 says, The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord... When Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and all of his army, all the kingdoms of the earth under his dominion, and all the people fought against Jerusalem and all his cities, saying, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Go and speak to Zedekiah, king of Judah, and tell him. And this is what Jeremiah's message was. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will, notice, I will give this city into the hand of the king of Babylon. And he shall burn it with fire. Look at verse 3. Because we remember, he's running, right? He's running, trying to get out of there. He's running. And it says in verse 3, And you shall not escape from his hand, but shall surely be taken and delivered into his hand. Your eyes shall see the eyes of the king of Babylon. He shall speak with you face to face, and you shall go to Babylon. Verse 4, Yet hear the word of the Lord, O Zedekiah, king of Judah. Thus says the Lord concerning you, You shall not die by the sword. Isn't that interesting? You shall not die by the sword. You shall die in peace as in the ceremonies of your fathers, the former kings who were before you. So they shall burn incense for you and lament for you saying, at last, Lord, lowercase Lord, for I have pronounced the word, says the Lord. Jeremiah told him, listen, let me tell you something what's going to happen. You're going to try to run away, you're not going to get away. But you're not going to die by the sword. You know why that's so important? Because what Jeremiah is telling him, all this that I'm telling you, you're going to live the rest of your life and you're going to memorize this the rest of your life while you're riding in prison. Could you imagine somebody telling you something? And you don't die. You live to rehearse it over and over and over again. Hopefully God may be letting them live to every repentance might take place. But here he's trying to run. You know, verse 5 said that he's trying to run. The, the army of the Chaldeans pursued the Chaldeans, pursued the king, and they overtook him in the plains of Jericho. Notice all his army was scattered. I'm back at 2 Kings 25. And then verse 6 it says... So they took the king, Ezekiel never calls him the king, Ezekiel always called him the prince. They took the king, this is Zedekiah, and brought him up to the king of Babylon at, underline this city in your Bible, because you don't, this is not a good city, it's the city of judgment, to Riblah, and they pronounced judgment on him. This is 586 BC, July the 16th, 586 BC. This is when Jerusalem is finally taken captive. This is what the Bible calls the time of the Gentiles. At this point forward, Israel won't be a sovereign nation in their own land until May the 14th, 1948, when David Gimboran calls it, you know, and proclaims it as a state again, you know, because it was Babylon. Then it would be the time of the Gentiles. The Medo-Persian, they would come and be a power after Babylon. After the Medo-Persians, it would be... You know, Alexander the Great and the Greeks, and then after Alexander the Great, it would be ultimately the Roman Empire that would rule for years, even to the point when Christ comes on the scene. It says, then they killed, notice what it says, verse 7, then they killed the sons of Zedekiah, 
before his eyes. Could you imagine seeing your children being slaughtered right before your eyes? And then they're going to like put his eyes out. They'll put his eyes out. The last image that he saw was his two sons being put to death. Could you imagine that? And all you can hear was Jeremiah say, if you just repent, just relent, you know, turn, look, fall under the rule of Nebuchadnezzar. Don't resist him. Could you imagine what's going through his mind right now? They gouged his eyes out. The last image he saw was his two sons being slaughtered right before his eyes. And notice, put out the eyes of Zedekiah, bound him with bronze fetters, and took him to Babylon. They didn't kill him with the sword. This is also mentioned in Jeremiah 37, verse 4 and 7, Jeremiah chapter 58, of, I mean 52 rather, of course, verses 8 through 11. Ezekiel prophesies this in regards to Zedekiah. Now this is interesting prophecy because we look at prophecies and well, what is going on here? Ezekiel prophesies in Ezekiel chapter 12, verse 13. He says, I will also spread my net over him, meaning Zedekiah, and he shall be caught by my snare. I will bring him to Babylon to the land of the Chaldeans, yet he shall not see it, though he shall die there. How can you go to a place and not see it? Because they gouged his eyes out. Ezekiel prophesied that while he was in captivity, before it happened. Before it happened, Zedekiah would come to Babylon as a blind man physically, but spiritually he was already a blind man. They would gouge his eyes out and he dies. You know where he dies at? Jeremiah chapter 52, verse 11. He dies in a Babylonian prison. That's where he dies at. Phew. Heavy chapter. Y'all getting this? Amen? It's coming together somehow. Verse 8, it says, And in the fifth month, on the seventh day of the month, this is August the 14th, 586 B.C., this is one month later, which was the 19th year of King Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, and a servant of the king of, a servant of, the king of Babylon, Babylon came to Jerusalem. Notice what he does. He burned the house of the Lord. Do you imagine that? He burned the house of the Lord. And the king's house, the palace that he lived in, all the houses of Jerusalem, meaning the wealthy people, that is, all the houses of the great, he burned with fire. This is God's judgment. So also mentioned in Jeremiah, again, Jeremiah mentions this, Jeremiah 52, verse 13, he mentions this. Jeremiah, could you imagine how broken, Jeremiah's called the weeping prophet. He's called the weeping prophet. Could you imagine him saying, and the, remember Jeremiah's life, he said, before you were born, I, you know, I called you to be a prophet, I ordained you, you know, you know, speak to them. Don't look at their faces, Jeremiah. Before you were even formed in your mother's womb, I knew you and ordained you to be a prophet. Could you imagine, and he started as a young guy. Could you imagine being Jeremiah? His ministry started around the time of Josiah all the way until they take him captive and so forth. Could you imagine being Jeremiah and seeing all of this? No, like, he loved this nation. Solomon built this temple over some 400 years earlier. 
And now, because the temple has significance to the Jewish nation, it has significance that the sacrifice, you came there and you offered up your sacrifice for sin and burnt offerings and peace offerings and sin offerings and, you know, and all types of peace offerings. And it was a place of, you know, almost reconciliation back to God. It wasn't like the sheep and the goat got you free from sin, and it, but it just showed you you was a sinner. That's what it showed you. Because I looked at the sheep and the goat, they wasn't no sinners. They ain't do nothing. It just made the worshiper aware that you were a sinner. And it was good to know that you were a sinner. And it was the blood that satisfied God at that particular time. But it pointed to Christ. And just imagine this how Jeremiah must have felt through all, because he's in the mix of, midst of all of this. They burned the same Zedekiah. Remember Zedekiah? Took and burned the scrolls, the word of God. He didn't want the word of God, he just burned it. Can you imagine that? And I'm sure the word of God is ringing in his heart somewhere. He'd probably say, I should have listened to Jeremiah. I'm here in prison with my eyes gouged out. My son's gone. The nation is, uh, you know, horrific, you know, laid waste. And here I am. It's a sad day in Judah. It's a sad day in Judah. That's why I said, I'm not going to finish this chapter because it was so many things I said. We need to know this in detail because once we know this, we say, God is a gracious God, slow to anger. He is slow to anger. They had a hundred and something years to never do none of this. And you know what they did? They put their fists up to God. They say, yeah, I know what the Bible says. Yeah, 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 amen. I heard, I heard what the preacher said Sunday, but I, I'm not doing none of that. Oh, I know what they said. You should get up in the morning and read your Bible and have devotions and all that, man. <laughs> I'm not doing none of that. Oh, really? Be sure to know that your sins will find you out. Your own backsliding will correct you, Jeremiah told them. And we think like, oh man, this, you know, how could this nation, the, the place that they called, that they love for worship was burned down. Burned down. Asaph. Asaph was a songwriter, you know, from a priestly family. He writes something that I think I really want us to look at tonight because once you kind of understand what he wrote, it's almost remarkable what he writes. But it's almost like a dirge. It's D-I-R-G-E. A dirge was a funeral song. And he writes like a funeral song when he writes Psalm 79. It's like a funeral song. You, you think you're wood in the world. And it's like a dirge. It's a song, you know, a prayer. For, and then it's followed by a prayer for Israel. You know, that, you know in, in so many ways, you know, that Israel, who was destroyed by their enemies, but, it was, but that their enemies would, you know, raise up and rise up against them because of their sins. But he writes this psalm, and you read the psalm, you say, what? And you should read Psalm 79 with 2 Kings chapter 25. You should read it all together with the book of Lamentations. You should read Psalm 74, verse 7. You should write that down because Psalm 74, verse 7 says, They set fire to, the, to your sanctuary. They have defiled the dwelling place of your name to the ground. It's interesting. They leveled it to the ground, Jeremiah 52, verse 17 through 23. 
leveled it to the <laughs> this beautiful temple. And David was taking spoil from all the other nations to beat, defeat nations and praying on, look at this great temple God has given us and all that he's given us and you know how God has blessed us and you've given us everything, but it's from your hand, Lord. It's not even really ours in the first Chronicles chapter 29. He said, oh man, look at all these great things. And hold up, wait a minute. How did this temple get burned down to the ground? Turn to, turn to Psalm 79. I told you y'all was going to be turning and I said, don't be mad. Don't leave it at night mad at me, all right? But I want y'all to see this. Psalm 79. It's a dirge. It's a funeral psalm. Psalm 79, verse 1. Look what it says. <clears throat> o God... The nations, King James says the heathen, the unsaved pagan nations, have come into your inheritance, your holy temple they have defiled. Notice, they have laid Jerusalem in heaps. The dead bodies of your servants they have given as food for the birds of the heavens, the flesh of your saints to the beasts of the earth. Their blood they had shed like water all around Jerusalem. Notice, and there was no one to bury them. The lament of Ur, it's called the lament of Ur, reports that the corpse were piled up in the open space in the city and people were stacked in heaps. It says that the country's blood filled the holes of the city. Anywhere it was like a hole or like, you know, you had those potholes. It was filled with blood. Thorkal, Thorkal Jacobson, who was a renowned historian specializing in Assyriology and Sumerian literature, he was the one, uh, he was one of the foremost scholars of, you know, of the ancient East, he was a sharp dude, who wrote a book titled, The Harp That Wants. It's, uh, you know, it's Sumerian, you know, poetry, but you should get that book and read it. You go through it, you're like, what? The Harp That Wants. The Harp That Once Played, I'm sure. And in verse four it says, we have become a reproach to our neighbors a scorn and derision to those who are around us. Now in verses 5 through 8, we have a prayer. So this prayer has two ideals here. You know, look what it says. How long, Lord, will you be angry forever? Will your jealousy burn like fire? Pour out your wrath on the nations that do not know you. He's switching the, you know... <laughs> to where God should send his wrath, and on the kingdoms that do not call on your name. Now realizing this, that God's hand was against them, they also mustered up enough to cry out to the Lord to destroy the enemy, whom God used as a tool. Babylon was only a tool, remember that. They were only a tool. God used them as a tool, but they still belonged to God in that sense that he judged, you know, the nation of Israel, but they still, um, Judah, they still belong to God. Just because we go through hard times and we chase him by the Lord, we still belong to him. 
They're calling for divine retribution on the enemy who showed them, notice, no limit to their rampage. In other words, the Babylonians would judge Judah, but they would step past the limit, then God judges them. All sin must be judged. And sometimes we may think that God's method may be oftentimes seem like a little unfair. Well, how could you use them? Why Babylon? Why would you use the Babylonians? Habakkuk had the same question in Habakkuk chapter 1. Why would you use this pagan nation to judge us and to chasten us? Because God chooses whatever you want to choose. In verse 7, look, it says, For they have devoured Jacob, another name for Israel, and laid waste his dwelling place. What a day that must have been. Oh, do not remember former iniquities against us. Let your tender mercies come speedily to meet us, for we have been brought very low. Help us, O God of our salvation, for the glory of your name, and deliver us and provide atonement for our sins for your name's sake. Why should the nation say, where is their God? Let there be known among the nations in our sight the avenging of the blood of your servants, which you have shed. Now the psalmist in, in verse 9 is praying for atonement for their sin, and in doing so, he's also asking for vengeance on those whom God used to chasten them. And, and the motivation behind this is to honor God. Isn't that interesting? And then he says, verse 11, let the groaning, the groaning of the prisoner come before you. According to the greatness of your power, preserve those who are appointed to die and return to our neighbors sevenfold into their bosom, their reproach, which notice, which, with which they have reproached you, O Lord. Think about what the Babylonians did. They took or they uprooted the nation from their own land that they received as an inheritance from the Lord. They destroyed the houses and then sell it the worship of God's house by burning it down to the ground, the temple. And God would avenge them as he uses the hands of the Medes and the Persians. Remember, you think Babylon got away with judging them? Always remember that God is in control. Babylon didn't get away with judging them because they stepped past the boundary that God set. Because when you read Daniel chapter 5, verse 25 to 31, and they, they had the big party, they brought out all the stuff that they took from Jerusalem, and the handwriting was on the wall, meany, meany, took of your farson. Remember? I don't know if you used to look at the Adams family, but it was that hand, used to go like this, remember? <laughs> so God will still judge a nation. Now the psalm ends with this epilogue, that we're still God's sheep. The writer says, no matter what we did, we are still God's people, Israel. Asaph says, look at verse 13. So we, your people, he didn't say we used to be your people, and sheep of your pasture, we will give thanks forever, will show forth your praise to all generations. Just because you're chastened by God. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12, he chastens those whom he love. Just because they were taken captive and the city burnt down. Y'all see that? Y'all seen that? Y'all get the picture here tonight? How filthy sin is and the consequences of sin. But if you belong to God, He still loves you. He still loves you. He loves the backslider. 
He still loves you. He's, he's not like, he's, you know, he's saying, turn, turn. They didn't even know how to turn. By the time you read Lamentations chapter 5, verse 21, he had to teach them how to turn. They didn't know how to come back. You can be so far gone from the things of God that you don't know how to come back or people make you think you're not worthy to come back. I wouldn't go back down to the church. They know you have messed up everything. Come back home. Be like the prodigal son. He says, when he came to himself, he says, how many of my father's servants have bread enough to spare? Here, I'm hungry. <laughs> yeah, I'm ready to die. You don't have anything to eat. I will arise and go to my father and say, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. I've sinned against heaven and sinned against you. Make me one of your hired servants. And that boy starts chucking home. Look, <laughs> you imagine he's getting, and, and, and he's walking, and he's tired, of probably a hot sun, and he starts walking. Then the father runs to him. The father runs to him. Jewish men did not run. The father comes out of his own character and runs and says, that's my boy. I know you smell like pork chops, but come on home, boy. God loves Israel. He loved the nation of Israel. He was not through with them. And he loves you too. It doesn't matter where you've been, how far you've gone away. If you know the Lord, he loves you. And you can come back. Those he foreknew, he also predestined. He said, well, I don't look like I'm predestined. We don't, none of us do half the time. But he foreknew you. And you're still caught by God if you know him. If you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal savior, you cannot lose your salvation based off your performance. Because you didn't gain it because of your performance. But if you live on a flat out habitual sin with no conviction, you probably never had the salvation that you think you have. But if you know Jesus Christ and you go off course, he's calling you right back. That's the love of the Father. Amen? Amen. Turn back to 2 Kings chapter 25, verse 10. I don't think we got any more detours now. I'm going to finish it down to verse 21, and then we're going to come back and finish the rest next week. It says, and all the army of the Chaldeans, the Babylonian is sometimes called, you know, sometimes called Shine. Babylon was sometimes called Shinir or the land of Babylon, but usually it's called the land of the Chaldeans. Same people, really. Who were with the captain of the um, guard broke down the walls of Jerusalem all around. So now Babylon comes and they tear down the walls. Isn't that something? And you know, we say, oh man, they tore down all the walls, man. Solomon built the temple and they built the walls. He said, that ain't no big deal to God. 444 BC, going into 443 BC, Nehemiah gonna rebuild those same walls they're tearing down right now. You read Nehemiah chapter three, next to him and next to him, and they're they gonna rebuild these walls. So when God takes some things from us, don't worry about it, he can replenish those things. It says, then Nebuchadnezzar, rather, the captain of the guard carried away, captive the rest of the people who remained in the city, and the defectors, or fugitives, who had deserted to the king of Babylon with the rest of the multitude, but the captain of the guard left some, not all, but some, of the poor of the land as vine dressers and farmers. God loves the poor. This was a good time to be poor. I wonder, was it a bunch of rich people like ripping up their clothes, acting like they was poor, standing, you know, trying to hide, you know. 
I would have done that. It says, the bronze pillars that were in the house of the Lord and the carts and the bronze sea that were, on, were in the house of the Lord, the Chaldeans broke in pieces and carried their bronze to Babylon. It was worth something. They also took away the pots, the shovels, the trimmers, the spoons, and all the bronze utensils with which the priests ministered. Isaiah said they would do this. The, the fire pans and the basins, the things of solid gold and solid silver, the captain of the guard took away the two pillars, one sea, and the carts which Solomon, look how far back they're going, which Solomon had made for the house of the Lord. The bronze of all these articles was beyond measure. Remember when um, Isaiah was shown, um, you know, Isaiah ex what did you show those guys? He said, I showed them all the treasures. <laughs> he said, yeah, they're going to take those treasures away and your descendants and make them eunuchs. And this is happening. This is the height of one pillar was 18 cubits. You want to know how high a high that was? 18 times 18 divided by 12. That's how high it was. And the capital on it was of bronze. The height of the capital was three cubits. And the network of the pomegranates all around the capital were all bronze. These three pillars, these, these pillars rather, these two pillars outside of the temple, one had Boaz, the name Boaz on one of them means strengthened, and the other one had Jason established. Not Jason the way we spell Jason. We spell Jason J-A-S-O-N. This Jason is spelled J-A-C-H-I-N. But that was on the front of those pillars. One means strength, one means established. He says all the bronze. It says the second pillar was the same with a network. Certainly God would have strengthened and established the nation of Judah if they would have obeyed him. The captain of the guard was Sariah, who he's, who's Ezra the scribe and the priest was a descendant of Sariah. Sariah, the chief priest, Zephaniah, the second priest, and the three doorkeepers. He also took, notice, he also took out of the city an officer, it says an officer, who had charge of the men of war. Five men of the king's close associates were found in the city. They probably were hiding. The chief recruiting officer of the army who mustered the people of the land and 60 men of the people of the land who were found in the city. So notice Nebuzaradan, captain of the guard, and I wouldn't want to be these guys right now, took them and brought them to the king. This is the place of execution at Babylon, the king of Babylon, at Riblah. You don't want to go to Riblah. Then the king of Babylon struck them and put them to death at Riblah in the land of Hamath. Thus Judah was carried away, notice, from his own land. Sad day for Judah, but this was all the consequences of what? Sin. As we carefully went through this tonight, it was all the consequences of what? Sin. Sin. This, it all that came about this judgment was because of sin. They didn't want to keep God's word. They didn't want to obey the Lord. Look, the Bible says if we confess our sins, he's, our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. He's faithful and, just, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If, now this is interesting what John says. He didn't say you will, he says, but if. Maybe you will, maybe you won't. 
if we confess our sins, the word confess in the Greek is hamalageo. You know, we get the word hama, homo, same thing, logeis, logis, which we get the word logo from, which means word, hamalageo. If you call, if you confess, you call sin what God calls sin. He's faithful and just to cleanse. You know, doctors would know this term, like catheterize, catheterize, like a blood transfusion, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Isn't that interesting? If you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness, not some. And that's for people who know God, for them to get back in fellowship with God. That verse is not for the unbeliever, 1 John 1, 9. It's for the believer. It's for the believers, for the person that know Jesus Christ, that steps off course. John says in 1 John 2, 6, if we claim to know Christ, we ought to walk as he walked. Past tense, we should have a walk with Christ. And then walk is work, walking circumspectively. You know the word circumspectly, acrobos, we get acrobatic from, and it means to walk a tightrope. It's as narrow as the path. Narrows the path, brought us the way that leads to destruction, and many go, many go thereof. It's a narrow path to be a Christian. It's, a na <laughs> it's getting narrower. <laughs> well, well, what can Christian people actually do? Well, what can Christians do for fun? If you ask that question, you're probably already carnal. What can Christians do for fun? Joy is serving Jesus. That's just a bonus within itself. Well, we can't, we can't Christians do, man, you can't do nothing to have no fun. You read your Bible, it should be fun. People say, man, I don't, I don't read, the, read the Bible, man. There ain't no fun reading no Bible. Who said, I was reading that Bible. I want to read the Bible. Man, come to church and serve. I, I want to serve all the time in no church. That means, come to prayer. I, I want to be in no prayer. I mean, that make, make no sense to come to no Bible study and prayer. Ain't no fun in that. I need fun. Really? You know, fun to get, that gets old. How many John Wayne movies did you see? You know, or how many movies can you, how many concerts? How many things can you do for the flesh that's going to satisfy the soul? None. There's nothing you can do to satisfy the flesh that will satisfy the soul. It says, be ye filled with the Spirit. Be ye continually filled with the Spirit, Ephesians 5, 18. Be ye continually filled with the Spirit. Because we get, D.L. Moody says, because we get leaky. We get leaky when we pursue fleshly things. The nation of Judah was pursuing all kinds of things opposite of God. And they loved idols. And you know what God did? Oh, you like idols? I'll sing you to the capital of idols, Babylon. You like living like Vegas? I'll make you drown in Las Vegas. And that's where they went. It was light camera action in Babylon. And it was a whole system. The Babylonian system, it won't be done away from until we get to the book of the Revelation, Revelation chapter 18. <laughs> at last, at last, Babylon has fallen. It's a whole system. We live in a Babylonian system. It's a book everybody should buy called Two Babylons. It's called Two Babylons. You read that book, you're wow, I've been duped. You don't think you've been duped? Let me tell you, you. how many of y'all got cell phones? Huh? Any of y'all got cell phones? Why you got a cell phone? Because the world said everybody should have a cell phone. Now, if you see somebody pull out a flip phone, you know what you can say? 
dude is crazy. <laughs> See, the world system can change us and make us all think we have to do the exact same thing, not as necessarily the exact same way, but in the same direction. That's what the world does. And that's what happened to Judah. They started thinking like, oh, wow. Why would we follow the Lord? It's kind of boring just coming to the tabernacle. It's kind of, the law of Moses, man, that's antiquated, man. Why would I, you know, some churches don't even teach the Old Testament no more. You realize that? I'm like, how crazy is that? Because the first century church, they didn't have the New Testament Bible. They all, all they did was the Old Testament. And they had more power than the church today. Well, that's Victorian and that's antiquated. No, no, no. And here they take it from their own land. Don't be taken from your right place, your rightful place, where you belong. We're seated in the heavenly places with Christ. Some places we don't need to be at, some places we don't need to think. Don't go back down memory lane. You know that song, Back Down Memory Lane? Don't listen to that song. Don't go back to your past. Your past always make you think about the wrong stuff. Forgetting those things which are behind. And God will restore this nation, the people. But look what they had to go through. 70 years of captivity. What a sad thing. Amen? We'll finish the rest of this next week, part two of chapter 25, because there's a little bit more I want to share. So look, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This, a wage for sin, don't forget, is a wage, is a wage of sin, the wages of sin, the salary of sin, you know. We get the word salarian. The Roman soldiers used to get paid in salt. We get the word salary from that word. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, Lord, our Lord. Hey, look, y'all glad you saved tonight? You glad you saved? Aren't you glad you saved tonight? Praise the Lord. I'm glad I'm saved. That's what I'm glad about. I'm glad I'm saved. I'm going to heaven, you know. Let's stand up as we pray. Father, thank you, Lord. Thank you for this study tonight, Lord. Every detail, every... verse, every cross-reference, every... Prophecy, Lord, that we went through, Lord, I pray that it don't return void. God, Lord, whatever you sent your word out to do tonight, Lord, let us look at this and not look at it and say, oh, look how Judah got caught in sin, Lord. It's for us. These things are lessons for us. That we be mindful when we come to a Bible study or hear a message on Christian radio or at church or somewhere. You're speaking through your word. You're constantly speaking through your word. Because you love us and you want us to be in fellowship with you, Lord. And so, Lord, we love you, Lord, because you first loved us and sent your son to be the propitiation for our sins, Lord. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you for your goodness, Lord. Thank you for the blood of Christ. Thank you, Lord, for all that you do, Lord Jesus. We love you, Lord. We praise you. Thank you for being a good God. You're a good God, Lord. We love you and we pray in Jesus' name for his sake. Amen. Amen. Let's sing.